This morning, I'm going to share with you a story out of the Gospel of Matthew. Some of you may be familiar with it. Others of you, it may be your first time hearing it today. But it gives us insight into the character and the nature of Christ and the passion of Jesus as it pertains to the temple and what it should be versus what it was being used as in the first century. In Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 12, when you get there, you can say amen. Matthew 21 in verse 12, this is what the Bible records of Jesus. It says that Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves. And he declared, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. The Bible says, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did, they said, hallelujah, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. And the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, it says, and they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked Jesus. Yes, he replied. Haven't you read out of the lips of children and infants? God has called forth praise. And he left them and he went out into the city of Bethany and he spent the night. And I want to preach a message to you this morning entitled refuse to sell the dove refuse to sell the dove would you pray with me this morning heavenly father we come to you lord in the mighty name of jesus lord i ask for the anointing of your holy spirit god to minister your word to those under the sound of my voice here today lord i pray god that your people would be uplifted in this place today lord God, that they would be strengthened by the power of your Holy Spirit, and that, God, you would give us revelation of your word that we've never seen before, and we give you praise and glory in Jesus' mighty name we pray, and everybody said amen, amen. and amen. And let me give you a little timeline perspective this morning. Uh, this event here is happening directly after the triumphal entry, a week prior to the crucifixion of Jesus. This, in fact, is the second time that Jesus is cleansing the temple. He does it once at the beginning of his three-year ministry, and now he does it at the end of his three-year ministry. The first time was at the beginning of his public ministry. The second time is near the end of his public ministry. But I want you to notice something because this pattern here is replete in the life of Christ. Right after triumph, conflict is quick to come. Uh, the crowds are literally shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're waving palm branches. They're taking off their cloaks and, and, and putting them down on the road. It is this prophetic fulfillment of what the Old Testament prophets have declared would happen prior to the crucifixion of Christ. And Jesus goes from this amazing, prophetic, glory-filled processional to fighting off merchants and religious folks in the temple. And this is a pattern of Christ's ministry. Jesus goes from the Mount of Transfiguration, a, a glory experience, to dealing with disciples in the valley who can't cast out a demon. Uh, 
Uh, Jesus goes from teaching in the temple and signs and wonders and miracles to the crowds attempting to push him off a cliff. Jesus goes from an open heaven baptismal experience to testing in the wilderness for 40 days. What if going from glory to glory has nothing to do with the ease of your task and has everything to do with the discipline of your spirit? Uh, what if going from glory, going from glory to glory means the art of giving God glory, no matter what type of exterior circumstances you're dealing with? Uh, you see, some people sign up to follow Jesus only to wither away, wither away at the first time of trouble. And Jesus warned us about these type of folks. He said that there are folks who sprout up quickly, but their roots are shallow and the cares of life choke them out. You know, there seems to be this misnomer today. Like if I just follow Jesus, it absolves me of all trouble, turmoil, or conflict. Like here's my get out of jail free card stamped by Jesus himself. Friend, I get in more trouble today as a result of following Jesus than I ever have before. And watch what James, the brother of Jesus says. He says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now allow perseverance to finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, what happens when you don't allow perseverance to finish its work, you end up immature, you end up incomplete, and you end up lacking lots. And I'm here to remind you this morning, friend, let God finish his work. I said, let God finish his work. One of the worst mistakes that you can make as a believer is to interrupt the flow, interrupt the process of your development by giving up in the middle of your conflict. Uh, you got to know this morning, I want you to hear this this morning, that God doesn't promise you a problem-free life. He promises you a presence-filled life regardless of the storms that you face. And often I have found that conflict is the greatest tool of development that God has to help deepen our roots, strengthen our resolve, and shift our perspective. Uh, consider the palm tree this morning. Its roots, are, its root systems are actually strengthened by hurricane force winds. Uh, when the wind begins to blow, the, the roots begin to grow deep, some of them up to two or three miles deep, attaching them attaching themselves to the bedrock of the soil. Because although they will be bent, they refuse to break. And see, our world has told us that all conflict is bad. And so, in turn, we have developed a conflict-adverse generation of people who are scared to death of their own shadows, lest someone disapprove of their opinion or position. But hear me this morning. There are some things that are so valuable, they are worth fighting over. And the fact that merchants and religious folks had made road roadblocks to encountering the presence of God was enough for Jesus to turn tables over. And so the next time somebody says, what would Jesus do? Uh, just go ahead and remind them that flipping tables and kicking out devils is a distinct possibility. Amen. You know, oftentimes Satan will change the name of sin in order to make sin adaptable to accept. And so instead of changing our ways, we change the wording. 
Instead of adultery, we call it swinging in open marriages. Instead of confusion, we call it gender dysphoria. Instead of gender mutilation, we call it gender transitioning. Instead of lust, we call it love. Instead of calling it a spiritual battle between good and evil, let's just call it a phobia. Uh, Let's call it political. Let's call it hate speech. Call it something else. We're not baby killers. We're called abortionists. To them, it's no longer sin. It's a complex. It's an addiction. It's a disorder. It's an obsession. So we don't feel bad about our sins. Let's just change the name of them. And then when we hear the truth preach, we feel conviction. And then we condemn the preacher for supposedly preaching hate speech. Uh, now, Now watch what Matthew says. It says, Jesus entered the temple and he drove out the merchants. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Uh, You see, in Old Covenant ceremonial law, if you couldn't afford a lamb, then you were allowed to offer up two doves as an atoning sacrifice for your sins. And so there was a practical reason for why the merchants were in the temple. However, the merchants were taking advantage of the people. And they were selling the doves for 20 times more their normal costs, creating roadblocks for pilgrims who had come to worship and pray. Hear me this morning. Matthew 21 is not about selling church merch in the foyer. It has nothing to do with whether or not church has a cafe or a bookstore. It has everything to do with the roadblock of religion keeping people from interacting with God. Watch the feedback of Jesus in Matthew 23. He said, Woe to you, you teachers of the law and you Pharisees. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice the child of hell that you are. Matthew 22, Jesus replied, you are mistaken because you do not know the scriptures, nor do you know the power of God. Luke chapter 11, Jesus replied, you are experts in the law, but woe to you because you load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry on you yourself will not even lift one finger to help them. Hear me this morning. Any place you find the burden of religion that keeps people in bondage, there you will find a Jesus that desires to lighten your load. Any place where you find shame and condemnation for your past mistakes, there you will find a Jesus who desires to forgive your past. Any place you find depression and anxiety, there you will find a Jesus who desires to give you hope and peace. Friend, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and He will stop at nothing to clear your past so that you can access grace in your time of need. Can you give God a hand clap of praise? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Out of all the verses that mention doves in scripture, maybe the most prominent one is when Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. When all the people are being baptized, Jesus is baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven came saying, you are my son in whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. I want you to notice something here. 
The father gives his affirmation of the son before one miracle is ever done, before one sermon is ever preached, before one convert is ever won. And you've got to know something today that we don't work for the affirmation of the father. We work from the affirmation of the father. Before you ever provided anything for him, he declared through the sacrifice of his son that you had value, that you were worth buying back. And when you can confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He said, this is my son or this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Amen. Amen. Now watch this. For the last 2,000 years of Christendom, the dove has been used in art, poetry, music, movies, paintings, and pictures to represent the Holy Spirit of God. And here's my request for you here this morning. It's the same request made in the temple 2,000 years ago. Do not sell the dove. Refuse to sell the dove. His spirit is much too precious. His anointing is much too real. His power is much too needed. Friend, resist the temptation to sell your birthright for a cup of soup. Do not sell the dove. And see, there's this subtle temptation for believers today. It's like the older that we get and the smarter that we get and the more influence that we have and the higher position we have, the more education we receive, the less spirit-filled we become. And it's my conviction that the bigger we get, the more reliant on God's spirit we must become. Human wisdom is simply not strong enough to regenerate the human heart. No, I am not ashamed. I am not embarrassed to believe in, in miracles. I'm not ashamed to pray in the spirit. I'm not afraid of what the religious folks will say. I know that I am not capable through human might to do this great work. We need a fresh outpouring of God's spirit in our churches, on our schools, in our universities and friend all across this region. Hallelujah. Now watch this exchange in the early church. There's a man in Acts chapter 8, a man named Simon. The Bible called him a sorcerer. And when he saw Peter operating under the power of God, he said, give me this ability so that everyone I lay hands on might also receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the dove. You thought that you could buy the gift. Hear me, friend, this morning, you can't buy it because it's not for sale. The spirit is given by God. It is received by faith and it is activated by grace. You can't sell it because it isn't yours to begin with. And you can't buy it because it's not a product. It's a person. See, you can buy big buildings, but you can't buy revival. You can buy LED screens, but you can't buy the anointing. You can buy fancy cameras, but you can't buy the outpouring of God's spirit. His spirit isn't for sale. Instead, it is freely available to all who will call on his name and how do you know that you are truly wealthy when you have things that money cannot buy we don't try to buy the dove we don't try to sell the dove but instead we exalt the lamb and we watch the dove descend hallelujah and it is not just that the dove represented God's spirit it's that the dove throughout scripture represented God's peace See, watch what Jesus says in John chapter 14. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
And see, peace isn't a product that Jesus sells. It is the very essence of his personhood. And when God walks in the room, it is your heart that is flooded with peace. You know, peace is actually the matrix for how church decisions were made in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 15, scripture records, it says this, it says it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Uh, You see, peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the presence of the prince in the midst of it. Isaiah prophesied for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. It's not just that the dove represented God's peace, but that it's the dove throughout scripture represented innocence and purity. In Matthew, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16, Jesus told the disciples, he said, behold, I send you out as sheep amongst wolves. So be wise as serpents and be as innocent or harmless as doves. That word innocent or harmless in the Greek, it's only used three times in the, in the New Testament. And it literally translates to the, to the English word unmixed. Uh, See, Jesus constantly warns against the mixture of the Pharisees. The New Testament authors consistently warned against the temptation towards syncretism in the pagan culture. And, And why are there such warnings all across scripture? Because a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. Uh, You see, the enemy loves to mix in a little lie to God's truth and then feed it to a generation that hasn't developed the appetite to know the difference. The world loves to mix in a little compromise to God's church and then present it to people who couldn't care less. Hear me, friend. We are not competing with Hollywood to be cool. We are not cozying up with culture to be relevant. We are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. And we are a peculiar people that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Hallelujah. Innocence isn't the same as being sheltered, but to so expose this next generation to the holiness of God that when the world offers them cheap alternatives, they have no interest in what the world is selling. You know what's interesting about doves is that they lack the ability to have peripheral vision, meaning that they can't see side to side. Uh, Once they lock their eyes on a target, it is physically impossible to be distracted by objects on either side. And I just wonder if maybe this is the best picture for the church today. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and let us run with perseverance the race that is set out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen. Listen, this morning, we are not selling our spirits. We refuse to lose our peace. We will not become distracted, and we will live unmixed lives. Now, watch what happens as soon as Jesus clears the temple courts and religious roadblocks and impure motives. It says, and then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. You see, oftentimes we are praying for the end result and then get upset at the process that God takes us through to bring about the very thing that we're praying for. Uh, What if in order for God to answer your prayer, he first had to turn some tables and correct your motives? 
What if in order for God to answer your prayer, God had to first shift your focus and your perspective? Uh, What if in order for God to answer your prayer, God first needed to change some of the attitudes in your heart? Uh, see, I think that if we're being honest this morning, that we, we are the ones who tend to sabotage our own journey the most. I know it's easy to, to blame others, but, but how many times have I gotten in the way of what God wanted to do and then blame someone else or something else for my position in life? Listen, friend, if you could kick in the rear the person who caused the most problems in your life, you wouldn't be able to sit down for a week. But here's my prayer for us this morning. God, whatever I've constructed in my mind, in my body, in my emotions, or my spirit, I now give you permission to turn that over to make room for what you want to do next. What if the mess that you see right now is a necessary stepping stone for the healing and the restoration that's going to happen next? You know, what I have found, oftentimes, Jesus has to disrupt what is to make room for what's next. Uh, I mean, think about this here. The temple, it looked like a mess. Merchants were fleeing. Tables were flipped, were turned over. Animals were running around. Birds were flying. But it was a necessary disturbance to bring about God's sovereign plan. Can I tell you something here today? Church is messy, and it should be. Relationships are messy. Community is messy. Friendships are messy. And the bigger your life grows, the more potential for mess that you have. No, I'm not afraid to make a mistake, but I want to keep an open heart that when Jesus Jesus needs to flip a table, even if it's one that I'm sitting at. He's got permission to do whatever he needs to do. And Jesus is still in the business for clearing room and making way, making ways where there seems to be no way. And Jesus is looking at the temple as a, as a construction of the old covenant. And yet everywhere he walks, he brings this new covenant reality. Uh, essentially saying that there is coming a time where we will no longer worship on this mountain or on that mountain, but true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. And when Jesus looks at the temple courts, his heart is grieved at the roadblocks that religion has created for people to encounter a holy God. So Jesus, in a moment of righteous indignation, begins to flip tables, and then he gives a prophetic announcement. He said, this house will be a house of prayer. Hallelujah. This house will be a house of prayer. It doesn't matter what nation you're from. It doesn't matter what political party you belong to. It doesn't matter how dark your life has been. It doesn't matter how many divorces you've had. It doesn't matter how many abortions you've experienced because when Jesus draws near, he heals the sick parts of your heart. He heals the lame parts of your mind. God, who is a great reconciler of humanity, begins to do a work that no man can do, not by our own might, not by our own power, but in fact, by his spirit alone. And if I could give you one charge this morning, it would simply be this. Refuse to sell the dove. Refuse to sell the dove. Hallelujah. We need a spirit more than we've ever needed it before. We need an encounter with a holy God, not just text on a page, but an encounter and an experience with his presence. I never want church to be so safe. 
and so clean and so programmed that we don't make room for the mess of God's spirit. <clears throat> when God shows up, he'll rearrange the program. When God shows up, worship will go on for another 45 minutes. When God shows up, people will spontaneously come to the altar. And I think what churches have learned to love is places that are so safe and so programmed that we in our own human wisdom think that we have figured out God. But we are barely scratching the surface of how great that he is. You are barely catching a glimpse of how wonderful that he is. You are barely seeing one square inch of his sovereign might and authority over the affairs of man. And when we draw near to God, God in this house, I want to hold high the mystery of his holiness. I want to hold high the mystery of his personhood. I want to admit that I don't have all the answers, but I've met the one who does, and his name is Jesus, and he's got permission to flip any tables that he needs. Hallelujah. Christian development is messy. But if you've signed up to follow this Jesus, I can promise you this. He is good, and you can trust that you've got a good God working on your behalf. Don't sell the dove. Exalt the lamb and watch the, the dove descend. Singers and musicians can come back. Refuse to sell the dove. Refuse to give up his presence. In his presence is everything that you need. In his presence is salvation. In his presence is victory. In his presence is peace. In his presence is deliverance. Refuse to sell the dove. Refuse to give up your peace. Refuse to allow your exterior circumstances to distract you from the will of God and the plan of God for your life. You've got a good God fighting on your behalf. Don't sell the dove. Exalt the lamb and watch the dove descend. Can you give God a hand clap?